the hard shoulder on News Talk with Nissan Subscribe and Drive. No deposit, no compromise, no fuss. Find out more at nissan.ie. We are live today from our Cork studios in Republic of Work in the South Mall in the city. And joining me in studio for the Thursday interview, proud Corkonian Amanullah de Sunday, who is a senior lecturer in contemporary Islam in University College Cork. Amanullah, you're welcome to studio. It's Thank good you. to see Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, a proud Corkonian, is that fair? Um, yes, I, I am. I've, I've, I'm, I'm beginning to, to accept that now. <laughs> um, but, but also a, a proud Glaswegian and a proud Sialkoti. So it, it, it's kind of working uh, three ways now. Uh, explain that to me. So in Ireland, we kind of uh, maybe it's the island nature of of our upbringing or something. I think we have a very kind of um, a, a very straight laced, if that's the right description, uh, idea of identity. You're kind of one thing or the other. It's probably a British thing, an anti-British thing. Yeah, maybe. but but actually, I, I don't I don't know. I think I think things are changing so rapidly. People are kind of connecting. I, I've actually heard people in in Cork speak about when they went to I don't know f- f- they went to for example Florida for a few months and they, they they kind of talk about themselves as if they're Floridian which I think is really interesting I guess at some level if you connect with a place does it does it begin to become a part of you um, and to be very honest with you when I first came to Cork in 2015 I, I did not think that I would uh, be going around and, and telling people how proud I am of, of, of being from Cork um, which, which, has, which has, has developed in me How long did that take, <laughs> that development? I think recently um, you know um, I, I, I recently uh, bought a house um, and I also applied for I've also applied for um, citizenship through naturalisation and I think these two things happening at the kind of similar at the same time during the pandemic just kind of rooted me in a way um, with Cork. How, how does that work the, the citizenship process? Is it like is it a form you fill out? Yeah, so so you know, there's without getting into all the details, you you basically have to fill out all sorts of uh, forms and and show evidence um, of you being here for for a certain amount of time. And you know, I I am British, so I'm a British citizen. So you kind of have to um, you know send in your your British passport and 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 just wait. So I'm I'm still waiting. <laughs> okay, uh, how long does that take? Do you know how well, long you will be waiting? Well, I think they were saying a, a straightforward case takes a year, but. But, you know, I think there's a backlog at the moment, so it's taking a little bit longer. One of my friends said it took her for, I think it was about 18 months, so I'm, I'm still waiting on that now. It, maybe it's hard to answer this question, impossible maybe in advance, but how do you think you'll feel when you stand up there, you get the the, the passport, I assume, is there, the, the flag is, is present, is there the national anthem? I don't know. Yeah, I'll probably start crying because I'm really quite soppy about these kind of things and <laughs> it's interesting how, you know, I can understand why it's a certain amount of time after you can apply for these things because you've really got to um, t- take on at some level uh, where you are. Now, I, I, lived in, I lived in the States for six years before I came here and um, I had a green card in the States. Mm. But to be very honest with you, I never really felt... The, 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 the way that I feel... Irish. I know that's going to annoy a lot of people because I keep getting on uh, Twitter yeah. that you're Glaswegian and you're Scottish and you should just stick to Let that box. Be you know what I mean? But 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 being in the states for six years, I never really felt. I never felt American. I always felt 
that I was, I, it was not me. It, I kind of felt like a bit of an imposter. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think it was also a couple of things happened. I, I lived at the beach for five years in South Beach. And, uh, you know. That sounds um, tough. Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> and actually, you know, I was one day coming home um, after visiting a friend and there was a drive-by shooting. And I was basically had to go into, um, you know, a, a shop and the police had us all on the wow. uh, on the ground. And that scared the living daylights out of me. And then there was a shooting in the apartment block that was next to be just a couple of these things and you know there was there was you know all sorts of kind of stuff happening that I just didn't feel very comfortable at the end I love going I always loved going to the States for a holiday and I think I ruined it at some level by going and thinking I could live there but six years was was absolutely amazing and I and I, and I love I love the, the, the United States uh, for a holiday but there's something different about Ireland I have to tell you I think there's something you know I, I, I'm sure everybody who's an expert on this it's the Celtic connections that we always get hammered into us and being Scottish and, you know, um, I, I still think there's so much, um, you know, um, uh, in relation to, to where I grew up in Glasgow to where I am now in Cork, the banter, the jokes, the laughs and all the rest of it. Did you grow up in, in uh, kind of a very much a kind of an Asian community in, in Glasgow? I did. So my mum recently visited me here in Cork um, uh, a couple of weeks ago and I learned so much about about my mum and dad. So my mum kind of hammered into me. My dad came to the UK in 1952 and my mum came to the UK in 1969. Wow, and, uh, 17 years yeah, difference. Yeah, I just thought this was amazing, you know, and, and kind of thinking about the transition of my parents coming from a small a village in Pakistan and then ending up in the UK. My dad was originally in Bradford and then when my mum came over, they moved to Glasgow. And so, you know, this dazzling mixture kind of embedded in, in me and my siblings. It's hilarious because when my mum was telling telling me these stories, she she's she's not, my mum has limited English, but she would go into this full throttle Glaswegian accent and I would just <laughs> like, yep, you've been in Glasgow since 1969. It was just beautiful to have her here and kind of um, you know kind of think about all the stuff that she's had to go through and when when they were telling you when your mom was telling you about this that experience in the 50s for your dad and the 60s for her i mean i'm, I'm sure you thought about like it, the world was a bigger place then yeah. like you know it, it, it was huge to move from pakistan yeah. to bradford and then yeah. glasgow yeah. i mean there was no yeah. going back for absolutely a lot of and you know what Keen, it was interesting because you weren't whatsapping people back yeah, at home <laughs> you know and and it was people asked me why did your parents move here like you know i think there was economic reasons but i also think my parents had itchy feet my mum was has to this day when she came to Cork, she was she wanted to talk to everybody. I was like, Mum, there's still a virus going on. Put your mask on. Let's be, you know. But she wanted to know with her limited English, you know, and she wants to speak to everybody. My dad was the same, you know. My dad travelled, um, you know, piecing together bits of what I I know of my dad. My dad was a, a an officer at Stanley Prison in Hong Kong. I found out that he worked in the weather station in Iran. You know, he worked in Yugoslavia. The first time he travelled to and he travelled by bus and I'm sitting there and my mum's telling me this I was just like gosh you couldn't get from one border to another border these days you know without something going on and my dad you know my mum telling us this story about him travelling on a bus all the way across the world and meeting all these different people you know I just think that's absolutely fascinating how our worlds you know my dad's worlds collided uh, when, when I asked about your kind of identity at the start you said what did you say you said a proud Corkman proud Glaswegian and proud Sealcote. So Sealcote is um, is a city 
in the Punjab and its claim to fame really is that all the World Cup footballs are, are made in that city. Um, and there was oh, the they, factory that makes yes, them there. and there, there was a bit of a, there was a bit of an issue uh, in the past, I think, about child labour, and I think they, I think they have sorted that out. So it's still a claim to fame for the city, but also surgical equipments and leather stuff as well. I, I, but it's funny that you say that you, you 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 know you identify with that city or that area rather than the the country when you were introducing yourself. Yeah, I mean, explain that to me because I'm interested because I I think that's a very Irish thing. Yeah, that we. You know, it's the Yates line, my country is Kiltartan's Cross. You know, we, yeah. we, we yeah. identify with the parish nearly yeah. than we do with the state. Absolutely. I mean, just, you know, even when you when you talk about different regions of Ireland, like uh, Sialkot in the Punjab, Punjabis are the best, right? They've got a good <laughs> sense of humour. We make the best food. You know, you go you go more south, you go to, you know, the Sindh, you go to Karachi area, you go to the northern area. It's a very different culture. It's a very, Even the music that, you know, I grew up with in the house, you know, my dad was singing really unbelievable believably erotic Bollywood songs and my mum would be saying we need to pray we, everybody needs to pray and that was this very interesting dazzling you know Islamic Punjabi you know it was just wonderful to have that in Glasgow and this this kind of mix this kind of cocktail of identities I mean like there'll be people listening who love it there's other people who I suppose they kind of get very fixated on us having very kind of very clear and concise ideas of yeah. what it is to be Pakistani or 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 by religion, what it is to be Muslim, what it yeah. is to be Irish, or yeah. what it is to be Catholic. Yeah. Uh, you know, you kind of fly in the face of those narrow definitions. I think a lot of people do. I think that with you know with when when people feel under threat, they sometimes try to harden the lines. Um, I, I you know if I just compare my mum's understanding of Islam is mixed with this Pakistaniness, which sometimes doesn't need to be overt, it doesn't need to be defined. Like and I think as we grew up, second generation, third generation grew up in Britain, the the lines hardened. Um Islam became more of an identifier. Uh you know, uh, Pakistaniness kind of became more women wearing a particular form of dress, men's beards grew bigger. Do you know what I mean? And I think mm. that for me is where you begin to see how people express themselves but being able to talk about religion and being able to express that I think comes from a huge privilege and I think that that, that that's 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 where people um who who can talk about who can talk about their identity like this I feel very privileged and I feel very lucky to be able to do that but if you were to meet a muslim who's maybe going through difficulty mm. it could be islamophobia or racism or immigration issues they might, they might, you know, try to fit a box. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. there's all sorts of other issues going on. So in no way do I represent a billion Muslims out there. No. Do you know what I mean? No, so. and, and I, probably nobody represents their community yeah. in its entirety. We all have these nuances. But then I, I just wonder, do you kind of lament the... Uh, the, the impact that social media debate has on identity because on social media there's no room for kind of nuance or subtlety yeah, it's kind of yeah. it is very much you said kind of described someone kind of fitting a box yeah. that, that's what but, it is but I, I do think the media is, 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 is changing and I think we do hear that subtlety we do hear that nuance even more like there's a there's a big case happening as you know in Ireland just now where it could be very easy to fall trap to many of the, the old uh, prejudices and stereotypes about Islam, Islamic law, jihad. And I have been, you know, you know, I, I teach media and Islam and Muslims. And I've been watching a lot of the news coverage in Ireland 
and I have to say I'm quite impressed mm. that it doesn't, it has helped us to not, uh, you know, lead individuals to those old stereotypes. So things are changing. And I think it's probably because a lot more Muslims are, you know, jumping up when, when people try to put Muslims into boxes. Muslims are jumping up and saying, well, I don't really believe that. You know what I yeah. mean? And I think that's that's interesting, but it's also very scary to a lot of people who want to keep everything neat and tidy. Uh, at the risk of kind of being accused of, of of kind of pulling the handbrake in a shuddering change of direction, how did you end up as a ball boy at Wimbledon? I wasn't a ball boy. How what do were you? you? An I, umpire. I was an umpire. Oh, a linesman, um, was I, it? I, I, I was an umpire. I was an official. I'm, I'm not. I'm not taking any of this. I was not a ball boy. But actually, the Should ball, they, they, the, just the, the Hawkeye the, does the, it all the ball, now, doesn't the ball, it? The ball boys. I, I think <laughs> um, I'm sure there's somebody from Wimbledon uh, listening in. But the ball boys were selected from the local schools, and oh, I right. think it was the primary schools, it might be the secondary um, but to become um, an official, uh, a British tennis official, you would really have to go through quite a lot of hard okay, work okay, I have to okay, tell. Okay. So you know we had to do a lot, it was, it, was, it was actually quite stressful but it was so much fun it was so much fun, I absolutely loved it and there are only actually a few people can who actually do it full time as a job because you know to go around it's quite a demanding job hmm. so a lot of people who were doing that were actually had other jobs they had other full time jobs we would do it as a kind of like a side thing you know as a kind of a hobby So what, what was your job then at Wimbledon? So it was lines it was actually you yeah. know be, being being on the lines because remember not all the courts have Hawkeye <laughs> um, but also um, you know once you, you, you basically go up the, the ladder so to speak and so I, I also did uh, train and I passed the exam to be a chair umpire wow. but to be very honest with you I did not enjoy it because I was doing you know I, you would do you're not, you're not Wimbledon isn't all the tennis that you do so you do local tournaments and it would be for example under 12s and I have to tell you I've never seen angry kids <laughs> like that ever and the parents were and that's not even talking about the parents and I thought I can't and you've got to make sure that you've got the score you've got to make sure that the, the 12 year old is kind of you know cool calm and collected and not smashing the rackets left right and centre then you've got to look after the, the line um, uh, umpires and I just thought you know what just give me a line and I just I just I, I, I think I I perfected to an extent the, the lines but it was it was wonderful but then I left it once I got my PhD and I moved to the States mm. in 2009 I still think about going back and doing it because it's just yeah. it's just a really it's it's something that gosh the amount of interviews that I've given in Ireland I just feel really nostalgic every time somebody talks about Wimbledon now Yeah it's, it's funny isn't it I suppose Wimbledon has such a place in the cultural consciousness in Ireland yes, you know, despite it, the fact that it happens across the yes, pond It's you quintessential know. British right it's, yeah, it's like, it is. you know it, I, I feel, you know, when I was there, I was just like, oh gosh, you know, I, I do, I do, I speak differently now. Do I, do I shout fault or in, or you know, you don't, you don't shout in, but you shout fault or out. Do you say it in a particular way? And it's really interesting because there's something about Wimbledon that is. It's it, there's a there's a class thing going on there. Mm. Like we were dressed in these designer outfits, you know, with fancy hats, and we would have our lunch in the buttery. You know, it was just, and you'd think, who on earth am I? You know, like I grew up in a council estate in Glasgow, so it was <laughs> all of these things. I think to a certain extent d- gave me some sort of discipline. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was at Wimbledon in, I think, 2003, 2004. I don't know if you were a uh, linesman uh, back in 2003, 2004. But uh, it talk about kind of, you know, from, from one polar extreme to the other. That night, I fell asleep in a bus and woke up in Brixton that night. Anyway, oh gosh, right. we won't talk okay, about the journey right, between uh, right. uh, SW19 and, and, yeah, and that. Yeah. Um, 
tell us before I let you go because uh, yeah. we're kind of running low on time I'm sure you must be delighted to uh, have students face to face back in university it's absolutely wonderful and I think there is a, there's obviously a measure to this that we're going to we're going to take this slow and steady because you know the virus is still around but it's you know I just came out of a class where I had um, my former colleague from the University of Miami he was talking to my class virtually and I was there and we were all and it's just lovely there's a complete different you know uh, um, environment what happens in the classroom when you see the students when you see I mean a lot of uh, all my students were wearing masks mm. but it's just nice to be in that and uh, long may it last and, and here's hoping that we are, we're going to move forward from the pandemic yeah. so that we can get some good uh, face-to-face learning and teaching yeah because we're, we're gregarious creatures we're meant to be together aren't absolutely. we absolutely yeah, we, well, we need to we need to do we need to do more of that. And I, I like I've always said, I, I believe in the power of conversation. There's a lot of issues that are going around right now. You know, hate and, and and all the rest of it. It could be Islamophobia to homophobia to racism. We have to talk to each other. And I'm sure you know every time I do these interviews, my students sometimes listen in and they're like, you know what? It's so good because you know all the stereotypes that I had. It's helped me kind of think through that. So here's more to conversation and actually annoying each other a bit more. Well, listen, I've enjoyed this conversation. wasn't annoying at all. I'm an. <laughs> A pleasure and thanks a million for coming in to us. Amanola this Sunday, who is a senior lecturer in contemporary Islam in University College Cork. That's-